I'm just telling you now, if that don't get you fired up, your wood's wet. <laughs> Come on. What Brandon doesn't know is that is one of my favorite songs. Man, that was great. Church family, I love you so much. And it's such a privilege to get to be here with you and get to serve you and get to, to pray with you and get to know you and just your heart for ministry and your heart for one another. And I'm telling you, when, when like my friends who are with me today, I, I told them, I was like, you've never heard a church sing like this. And it's true. But let's, let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this time. God, you are beautiful. God, thank you for the way that you love us. God, I pray this morning that you would give us a picture of the glory that awaits of getting to be with you. But not just that. God, the glory we get to live in now, being a part of your work, accomplishing your ministry through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would give us a vision, you would give us a God-sized dream, and we would pursue after you hard. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. It snuck up on me. <laughs> hey, we're going to be in Revelation 21, if you want to go ahead and turn there. We're taking a break from our series uh, in Galatians, but my hope for you this morning as we continue this series in Captivated is that you would be captivated by this picture of what awaits for us in heaven so that you would be motivated today to work for tomorrow. Um, I'm a geek. I used to try to like act cool, but I'm just leaning into it. I'm, I'm a geek. If you like the beard kind of like makes it not look as much so, but that's just not true. I like museums and I like art and I'm not an artist, but I appreciate art. Art makes you feel things. Art expresses things that we can't say sometimes in words. Um, Jordan and I, last year, we went to this Van Gogh thing. It was, it was a Van Gogh immersive experience. And it, when you walk into the room, it, it displayed the, the art, 3D on the floor and on the walls. I mean, it, it was really, really interesting. So I was transported from looking at Starry Night, that's one of Van Gogh's masterpieces, to like being in it being a part of the masterpiece. And with the, the movement of the painting, because it kind of moved around the room so that you could experience different aspects of it. And they, they had some music going on. Like, it just, it made me appreciate the artist and his brushstrokes like I never had before. It, 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 was a, it was a different experience being able to see the details at such a, such a close level. Looking at art on a page in a textbook, it's impressive, but it's a totally different thing being up close, isn't it? But it's something different entirely being in it. We're going to look this morning at the picture that God paints in Revelation 21. And I hope that when you look at the picture he paints, it invokes in you an emotion that drives you to action 
So there's going to be two pictures painted here. The, the, the picture of pure joy and bliss getting to be in the presence of the king forever. And the second picture is going to be the picture of the dire reality of those who don't know Christ. So there's two pictures, and both pictures should drive us to action. So here's the goal for this morning. Like I said, we're, we're taking a step out of, of our, our normal look at Galatians. So if you're here next week, we're not going to be in Revelation 22. We're going to be back in Galatians. But we're, we're going to look at missions, the need for missions, and why we participate in the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, by our cooperation, we get to further the gospel ministry. So at the end, we're going to touch on what we do nationally and internationally for building the, the kingdom of God by the way that we contribute. But also outside of that, I want us to ask how we as individuals can participate in the greater work of God because we've looked at this picture that he's painted, but also how we as a church, we go from looking at all the options of ministry because let's be real, there's a lot of different ways that we can can do this, but how we would narrow in and focus and that we would drive in a direction to reach unengaged people groups with the gospel. So let's, let's look at what is true if you're a note taker. So what is true? God's mission is to save a people and for them to dwell with him forever. It's, it's simple. That, that's God's mission. So what are we to do about that? So it's good to know like the high level thing, but for me, what am I supposed to do? We are to carry out his mission on earth, taking the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's not for somebody else to do. That is each and every one of our callings. And we'll talk about some practical ways we can, we can do that. So let's look at our text together. So Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Man, this is cool. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard with a loud voice from the throne. So this is God speaking. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the one who thir is thirsty, I will give from spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. But 
As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderer, the sexually immoral, the sorcerer, the idolater, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake of fire that burns uh, like a fire and sulfur, which is the second death. May the Lord add blessing to the reading of his word. So the picture of God's presence in verses 21, 1, 1 through 4, is that God is with man. God is with man. So let's, let's, look, uh, let's look at verse 21. Uh, ver- let's look at verse 1. So we see that God destroys, um, or he, he destroys, he discards this old world, the old heaven and the old earth. God replaces the old heaven and the old earth with a new heaven and a new earth. But verse 1 notes that God did away with the sea. And remember, the original audience, they, they were Jews, and they would have heard something we didn't hear. This is, this is a, a metaphor as well, because the Jews do not like the sea. They are not like the Vikings. They're not a seafaring people. Let's think about their stories of boats in the Bible, right? So Noah, the whole world gets wiped out. Jonah, he gets eaten by a fish. Um, we got a couple stories about Paul, and he gets shipwrecked. Like, they don't like the sea. They're not a seafaring people. And the sea represents to the Jew a place of death and chaos. God in his new creation of, uh, with a new heaven and a new earth has done away with chaos and he's done away with death. And he's created for us a new Eden in which to dwell with his people. God's creation of heaven and earth Originally, it was perfect, right? Until Adam and Eve had sinned in Eden. God's God's perfect creation had fallen into chaos and sin and death reigned. But in this moment that we're looking at in Revelation, God fixes what's been broken once and for all. God created a new heaven and a new earth, and the old things are now passed away. God reversed the curse of the garden. And God's given each man a stamp of eternity on his heart. We all know things aren't as they should be, don't we? We, we have an idea that, that things aren't right. We, we, we know that there shouldn't be pain and there shouldn't be suffering and there shouldn't be sorrow. But that's not the life we get to experience. The life we experience is full of pain. It's full of sorrow. It's full of suffering. And a Christian who pretends like it's not is denying the reality that we find in the Scriptures. But we know that there's something better. We, we know that there's something better and we've yet to experience. God's new heaven and his new earth is the very thing we've been hoping for. God's picture that he's painting for us is a new perfect place for his people without pain or sorrow. And here's the best part. We get to be in his presence. Church, hear me on this. The prize of heaven, the present of heaven, is getting to be in the presence of God. That's what it is. That's what everything is is building towards. 
And in this new place, there's, it's more than just a new creation. It's a place without chaos and death. It's a new city. God, God calls this place a new Jerusalem. The word Jerusalem means city of peace. There is a new peace offered, a peace like we've never experienced. A peace, again, with no more pain, sorrow, and suffering. God in this city, he's, he's, he's in this new city of peace, he's waiting for his bride. And his bride comes out of heaven in this passage, adorned, that's us, for her husband. But we can't prepare ourselves for God. We can't make ourselves right. We can't clothe ourselves. We can't adorn ourselves with anything worthy. Look at the screen, Ephesians 5.25. God paints this picture that we are perfected by the blood of the Lamb. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So we've been cleansed by Christ. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. We are presented to God in spite of our sin in spite of our shame, in spite of our disloyalty. God, through the work of Jesus Christ, through the washing of his blood, presents us as holy and without blemish, without wrinkle, and without spot. We get to come to God not based on our own merit, but based on the merit of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's this that's this picture. We get to be in the new creation of God because in Jesus, we've been made a new creation. God's mission is that he would perfect his bride to present them to himself. This is, this is the singular moment in history that all things have been working towards. Church, the cross is not the climax of the Bible. The resurrection is not the climax of the Bible. This is the climax. That we get to dwell forever with God in his presence. And he makes a new Eden and he reverses the curse. Everything else is telling the story about how he's bringing this thing to fruition. We often think, we, we don't think of God waiting expectantly for us. But God paints the picture of him doing just that. He's waiting expectantly for his bride. I remember the, on my wedding day, I was on, I was on this side of the stage. There were about 200 people in a room. It's one of those churches with, with the middle aisle. And I didn't have breath in my chest. I was so excited. It was nervous energy. I was expecting, I was waiting on my bride. And I was thinking two things. She's coming through that door. 
because it was one with the side door like this one. She's coming through that door. I can't believe this is really happening. And two, the preacher told me not to lock my knees or I'd pass out. <laughs> you know, and then they struck those cords. Bum, bum. And the doors, the doors open and there was my bride. That's this picture. Seeing my bride was pure joy. God sees his bride in his pure joy. This moment is the culmination of all creation that God is bringing his bride to himself. The bride is coming out of heaven and God makes a declaration from his throne in verse three. Let's look at that. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be there as their God. If you're an underliner in your Bible, underline that. Did you know that God is excited about you? Did you know that God's not indifferent about you? Look how excited he is looking to this singular moment when he's going to bring you as a part of his bride to himself. This, this, is, this is what all the things are, are building towards. But God's not just excited for you. He's also excited about those who will come to him. And we need to make sure, as we look at all the joy and all the expectancy and all the love that God has, we need to be sure that we're doing all we can to participate in that work of bringing people to be a part of that bride. So listen to how God has been yearning and, and longing throughout the ages for this moment. God says this phrase that we find in our passage over and over and over again throughout the Bible. So look at, look, we're just going to look at just a few times. There's a lot more than this in the Bible. So he says some version of this. So Genesis 17, 7. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to the descendants after you. So he wants to be their God and he wants them to be his people. Jeremiah 32, 38. They shall be my people and I will be their God. Ezekiel 37, 23. I will deliver them from all of their dwelling places in which they have sinned and I will cleanse them and they will be my people and I will be their God. Let's keep looking. Leviticus 26, 12. People act like nothing. God's not saying anything nice in Leviticus. Leviticus. I will also walk among you and I will be your God and you shall be my people. Jeremiah 11, 4. Listen to my voice and do all according to which I command you so that you shall be my people and I will be your God. Jeremiah 30, 22. You shall be my people and I will be your God. Ezekiel 36, 28. And you will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers and you will be my people and... Throughout the ages, God has been yearning for this. He created a garden in which he would walk among his people as their God. 
and we broke it. And then God did everything required to bring us back to him. The joy of eternity is this. God's dwelling place is with man, and we once and for all get to be in his presence unhindered. That's heaven. Heaven's not pearly streets. Heaven's not all these other things. Those things are just to show you that the things that we think are valuable here are worth nothing there. And the prize is the presence of the living God. The heart of God is that we would that he would have a people who who love him as their God and he could dwell with them. This is his end from the beginning. This is God's goal from Genesis, from the foundations of the earth. Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundations of the earth that he might bring every tribe, tongue, and nation to himself for his glory. Can you feel God's anticipation for this moment by looking at this picture? I want you to hear this this morning. You are loved by God and God wants you. If you feel today unloved, unimportant, and unknown, there is a God who knows you. If God knows you, that means you're important. And God is love and that God loves you. We try to do all these things to make ourselves important. Status, money, homes. All these things will burn up. The only thing that will last beyond the fire is love. One of my favorite passages is faith, hope, and love are some good things he gave us, but the greatest is love. Why is the greatest gift love? Because love is the only thing that will endure eternity. When we get to heaven, we won't need faith and hope anymore because we will be looking in the eyes of our king. Love is the only one, the only thing that remains. So stop chasing after and hoping after things that won't last. Chase after Jesus because you're loved and in him, he's giving you worth. And we have worth because we're in Christ. Let's look at verse four. This is uh, where he's fulfilling promises from places like Isaiah. He says, he, God's not sending an angel to do it. He's not sending somebody else to do it. What is he doing? He himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. God will dwell in this new city of peace with us. God will dwell in this new Jerusalem with us. And some of you, you're in constant states of physical pain. Constant states of emotional pain. That thing that family member did to you is constantly in the back of your mind. That injury that's been inflicted by that one you love is stabs you deep in the heart. 
that child you lost, that husband you lost, that, that, that wife you don't understand why she walked out on you? The pain is real, but there is a day coming when all things will be made right and there will be no more pain and there will be no more suffering and there will be no more sorrow and God himself will allow you to lay your face in his chest and he himself will comfort you. We get the presence of God in heaven. There are millions of pains and heartaches on this side of eternity. But on that side of eternity, when, the, when we cross that veil, they're all gone. The prize of heaven is being in the presence of God. And that's this picture that God's painting. So let's look at God's mission in verses 5 through 8. And God's mission is to fulfill all of his promises. So let's read this together. And he said to the one who was on the throne, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. The scene changes from God being with his people to God being back on the throne. God, he speaks and he makes a promise. And he says, I'm making all things new. In this passage, he's promising to finalize everything that he's promised from Genesis to Revelation. All these things are going to come to fruition. And we know that God can, will keep his promises because he tells us that he's faithful and true. God is the beginning. He's the alpha. He's the unmoved mover. The thing that God made everything that is out of nothing by the power of his word. Knowing God will, knowing that God will finalize all of his promises should strike one or two emotions in your heart. Great joy and comfort or fear. God is also the omega. He's the end. He's the final word. God is the end of every man's life. At, he's, he's the beginning of this life. He creates life for us. But at the beginning of our next life, we will all stand before his great white throne of judgment and have to give an account for what we've done with this life. At that moment, each man will find his true end, whether it's getting to be in the presence of God forever because he's believed in the work of Jesus Christ, or he'll meet his end and face the punishment and the wrath of the living God. Look in verse 6 with me. He says this. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you're like, oh, that got real. What do I do? He gives you direction, verse 6. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and again, 
He will be my son. He will be my people. To the one who thirsts, God says, he will save you. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Everything that we're talking about, getting to be with God for an eternity, it's not based on you, but it's based on the work of Jesus. And he tells us if you would put your, your faith and your trust in him, that he will save you. It's not based on anything that you do, but on what the Son has done. All you must do is drink from the water today. Anyone has access to God's spring of life in this desert of death. All we got to do is come. Wealth, nobility, your ability to keep the law, your intelligence. Nothing can bring you to that water to drink from. There is no payment for the water. You can either have the water for free or you can have it not at all. The water is totally free because the water's already been totally paid for. It was paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you drink from this water, you will be given the inheritance of Christ himself to get to dwell with God forever in eternity. Let's look at verse 8. God is the end for those who don't thirst for him. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in a lake that burns with fire and in sulfur, which is the second death. If you don't thirst for the Lord today in this life, the Bible promises you will taste the second death. The second death is an eternal hell. You will receive the exact punishment as the devil in the lake of fire. Because your sin is essentially the same as his. You've rejected God as king. You've rebelled against your maker. Your punishment will be a torture for an eternity. And there you will not find the relief of death. You will not find the relief of extinction. All you will find is pain. God will be the end of you by your choice of faithlessness. I don't have joy in saying that. That's just, that is the reality. Jesus is not a way to heaven. He is the only way to heaven. But let's look at the goodness and the promise of what will happen if you put your faith and trust in Jesus today. You're told that you will have eternal life. All these promises are for you. You get to be in the, the, this beautiful picture painted by God with him forever. So what do we do with all this? When we look at this picture as believers, it should compel us to bring as many people as we can to meet Jesus. Our work is to carry out God's mission God's calling each one of us to live our lives in a way that we reach the world. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he, he, he spoke in Acts 1.8. Let's, let's look at that. It's on the screen. And he gives a clear message and a mission for all believers. This isn't for some believers. It's not for the elite believers. It's not for the special believers. 
This is for all believers. He says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We've been saved. We have the Holy Spirit. And you, this is how you know that you're his, uh, you have the Holy Spirit. This one doesn't make us feel comfortable. You know you have the Holy Spirit because he will do this. You will be my witness. The Holy Spirit will compel you to be a witness for Jesus Christ. You will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the end of the earth. We are to be gospel witnesses throughout the entire earth. But we can't do this alone. We, we can't go and reach the whole earth by ourselves. It's kind of like the, why we're doing who's your one. We can't reach everybody, but we can reach one person, right? We can disciple that one person, and that one person can reach one person, and, and it can escalate, right? But how, how do we reach the ends of the earth? By cooperation. This is why we are in the Southern Baptist Convention is the heart of cooperation. It's the heart to see all nations, tribes, and tongues know Jesus Christ as Lord. We do it through cooperative giving. As, as Paul and the early missionaries, when you read through Acts, what you're going to find is local churches supported Paul as he went out and did the work of the ministry. Now, they did the work of the ministry where they're at, and then they sent people to do things also, but they also collected together to support Paul and, and his mission endeavors. So today, the Southern Baptist Convention is a group of 47,000 like-minded churches who partner together to do the mission of God, and that is taking the message of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Today, hundreds of thousands of people will die without the hope of Jesus Christ. The SBC exists to address this problem. And we, a lot of people call missions a lot of things. But this is the greatest problem in our world, and it's lostness. And that's why the SBC exists to address the issue of lostness. Because I think sometimes we get in our Christian huddle and we forget the world is lost and it's dying and it's going to hell. We just get mad about the results of what we see in the world in front of us instead of about the individual souls of those people. So we send missionaries to the nations together to, to share the good news of Jesus. There's three main ways we do this. The first is through the International Mission Board. That's known as the IMB. And the, the, we have 3,600 missionaries on the field and countless foreign nationals that are trained by these missionaries. So these missionaries aren't going there and saying, I'm, I'm on my own and I'm going to figure it out. What they do is they train nationals and those nationals go and they make disciples. They, make, they, they start churches. They make church planting churches. So that's, that's what the International Mission Board exists to do, to, to go to the unreached and unengaged people groups of the world. Number two, the North American Mission Board, known as NAM. Today, that's what we've taken up that special love offering for, and 100% of what you give in that love offering goes directly to NAM. And those, that goes to church planning. On average, 6,000 to 10,000 churches die a year. So why is it important that we're about the business of church planning in North America? 
Because if we allow that trend to continue, there ain't going to be no more churches. There's not going to be a gospel witness in these places. And we plant churches in places like Canada and Toronto, and those are very godless cities. New York, but we're also doing it in places like Utah, rural West Virginia, all over the country. And I think it said we've planted through the North American Mission Board since 2010, 37,000 churches. So that's where that money goes. It goes to things like that, disaster relief, orphanages, pastor training. And the final place your money goes when you give to NAM, or when you give to the to, to the Southern Baptist Cooperative Giving is through pastor training. So, all right. Hey, we're serious about missions and we're serious about the local church. So we got to be serious about training people to go, to, to go do those things. And because of your giving, people like me have been blessed, me and my wife, and there are some others in the room that have gone to, to these seminaries. You have six seminaries, one in Fort Worth, that's Southwestern, Southeastern, uh, New Orleans Baptist, Midwestern, and um, I'm forgetting one, but Golden Gate. But we are, they're all over the country, and we give, and that money goes directly to those organizations to train pastors and missionaries to, to go and equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So we're about to talk about a lot of numbers. So just be with me, but this, this, these are compelling things. There are over 7 billion people on the planet. On average, two people die every second. It's estimated that 157,000 people and some change are dying daily. And this is, this is the, the kicker. Without access to the gospel. Should break our hearts. Wilson Geisler, the IMB's director of global research, said of Protestant missionary groups, 3% of mission work goes to reach the unreached peoples of the world. Only 3%. While in 2021, the IMB sought to focus 81% of their missionary efforts to reach the unreached people groups of the world. We call them UPGs. Additionally, 90% of all IMB teams focus on at least one unreached people group. The IMB has identified 3,100 um, people groups that are yet remain unreached. They're still unreached. I've heard it said that we as a church don't participate in outreach. That's simply untrue because we participate in the Southern Baptist Convention. Your cooperative giving to the Southern Baptist Convention accomplished these things in 2021. Look at the screen. 93 new people groups were, were, were engaged with the gospel. That's what your giving went to. 590,000 individuals heard the gospel. And these are unreached people groups. This isn't just everybody. Almost 500,000 people received an opportunity to respond to the, the gospel. Almost 200,000 new believers were reported. 
Almost 200,000 people received leadership training. So of those 31,000 missionaries that we've employed, what they did in 2021 was they trained local nationals to reach their places with the gospel. And this is a kicker. And this is just in 2021 and internationally. 22,000 new churches were planted. That's why we're Southern Baptists. We're not Southern Baptists because we're Baptists in the South. We're Southern Baptists because we are a part of the greatest mission movement in world history. You need to understand that there's never been a greater movement of God in the world than what we get to participate in. But we... Praise God that we're sending people, but it's on my heart that we go also. We are to pray, give, and go. My hope and my prayer is that we would not just give, but we would go. We would go to places and partner with existing ministries to reach the lost. We would go and adopt a people group and we would commit to supporting a pastor who would make disciples and we would see churches planted in this unreached, unengaged people group. And un, so there's two different kinds of people group. You got an unreached people group and that's where less than 4% are believers. And then there's unreached, unengaged people groups. Those are the people groups that we've yet to have any confirmation that there's a believer there and that they don't have access to the gospel. We saw 93 get moved off that list last year. One of my God dreams is that God would use Oak Grove to move a people group from from unengaged, unreached, to reached. And you're like, that's a pipe dream. That's not something we could accomplish. Now, we can't accomplish it without the work of the Holy Spirit, but it is something we can. I just left a church where we did. We went to a country that it's an island and it had more, or a series of islands with more Muslims in it than all of the Middle East. An island where they trained the radical Muslims for the war in Iraq. We saw a national who was passionate about reaching this specific people, this people of the knife, this river people. And we partnered with him for eight years and they're still partnered with him. And I was over there, and I got to see the first one get baptized. And we as a church got to celebrate that people group getting moved from unengaged, unreached, to just unreached. And now in that community, and it's a huge area, not just one place, there are five churches planted. That's something we can do. but we have to be focused about the work of God. I've been a a part of a ministry where we've got to see God do great things. And I know we're gonna see God do great things. And the IMB that we support will help connect us and train us for that work ahead. So, what does this mean? we are going to get to participate in the work of taking the gospel so that these unreached, unengaged people groups 
will one day in heaven be a part of that great cloud of witnesses. Matthew 9, 36. This is the heart of Jesus. He saw the crowds. He had compassions for them. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the field. So the invitation today is going to be quite different. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, after service, I would love to have that conversation with you. Brandon would love to have that conversation. The deacons in the back would love to have that conversation. Grab somebody. We'll share the gospel with you. 